Before we start, this episode contains themes of racism and racial violence. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Unknown Black History Podcast. I'm Avery. I'm Sandrine. I'm Lenita. And we are so happy to have you here with us today. Um, Today we are talking a little bit about um, Camp Van Dorn, which if you've never heard of it, neither had we until we had an experience. So, Dreen, take us away. All right. Well, I'll be perfectly honest. This one is draining and disturbing. (laughs) Someone who's uh, spent a little time digging into it. So, um, I guess... I guess I'll start how we found out about Camp Van Dorn. Does that seem like a good place to start? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, in 2020, uh, during the Pandaria, we were, I was uh, living with Avery and we were having a conversation with my mom, her aunt, and uh, we were, they had been, our mom, my mom and our grandmother had been going uh, through their 23 and me connections. My mom had uh, received a family connection that was, I think, um, like a fourth cousin, something along those lines. Um, the woman reached out and said that her grandmother remembered my grandmother as a small child, but her grandmother was very obviously a white woman. And so, of course, there's a little confusion there. So, as my grandmother, who is uh, about to be 91, started to uh, think back on family and experiences as a child. She remembered her mother being visited by a cousin who lived in Centerville, Mississippi, and she came to visit along with her three children, two of which were light skinned black and the third being white with blonde hair um, under You know, just appearances, my grandmother assumed that this was maybe a child that uh, their cousin was watching, and that was the connection. But as it turned out, it is her um, biological child. She was married to a white man and had given birth to three children, the last one being white. Um, My grandmother remembers them leaving Centerville, Mississippi to move to uh, somewhere north of Uh, in the northern states because her aunt had received uh, numerous threats about being a black woman married to a white man and having a white child. My grandmother also remembered that something happened in Centerville, Mississippi, but she couldn't remember all of the details. So that then led my mother, Avery and Lenita's aunt, uh, on a journey to find out what happened in Centerville, Mississippi which was then shared with Avery and I, and that sent us on our own journey. Ooh, that alone is just, that's a whole book right there. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of story to begin with. (laughs) It is. That's a whole story in and of itself. Um, That led me to a book. So I couldn't find a lot about what happened in Centerville, Mississippi, but it led me to a book called The Slaughter by Carol Case. Uh, Carol Case is a man from Mississippi. Um, he had been a bank manager or a bank president 
he also um, served on the in in Jackson, Mississippi, as like the art Mississippi art director chair or something along those lines. Anyway, um, I got his book and I started to read. Do you know what happened in Centerville, Mississippi in 1943? You don't. This book goes on to tell the story that in the fall of 1943, the U.S. Army killed half of a black military infantry. Uh, Carol Case had heard this story as a child growing up in Mississippi, but it had always been a rumor, nothing uh, with real legs to stand on. And on this particular day in July of 1985, when he's the bank president, he's having coffee with the, um, with their recently hired uh, maintenance man who is an elderly gentleman. He's retired and he really is just looking uh, for something to do with his day. The man's name is Bill Martzel. And Bill shares with Carol that he has uh, served as he served in the military as a, as military police, as an MP. And then he also served in his civilian life as um, a police officer. Bill asked the question, have you ever had to use deadly force? And Bill's response is personally or professionally. And Carol's a little taken back by that response. And he says, either, you know, just tell me the story. And Carol launches into a story about as he was surfing as an MP in the military at Camp Von Dorn in Centerville, Mississippi. He, along with the entire military police force, are tasked with killing an, half of an infantry of black soldiers. Obviously, this is very disturbing to hear uh, so that sends Carol, Carol asks him, you know, do you mind if I dig deeper into this? And he says, you know, yeah, this is, it's what I'm telling you is facts, but yeah, you're welcome to dig a little bit deeper into it. So he begins to dig and it starts with finding other soldiers or people that were in Centerville at this time. Two of which were civilians. One of them happens to be a, um, he's now like the city commissioner, I think it, it is. But he had been a fireman during the time of, uh, the, of the time in question. Um, he talks about how the military had given their MPs orders to kill the Negro soldiers or else the civilians of Centerville were going to take care of it. So a little back, back history on the 364th Division of the U.S. Army, the Infantry Division. This is a group of black soldiers that were sent to Centerville, Mississippi from Phoenix, Arizona, where they had been stationed. This is during World War II. Uh, while they were in Phoenix, apparently there had been some issues 
that led to a riot. We're not sure exactly what the circumstances are that caused the riot, but they, the army then decides that they're going to send these soldiers to Centerville, Mississippi, just to get them out of Phoenix and try to move on past whatever this issue is. But of course, um, they kind of, you know, Centerville gets a heads up. Camp Von Dorn gets a heads up that, hey, you're getting this infantry division that's troublemakers. They've had trouble in Phoenix. They're going to be a handful. So imagine going from Phoenix, Arizona to Mississippi in 1943. You can already imagine that there's going to be an issue anyway with black soldiers heading into the deep south, but especially soldiers that have had some sort of conflict or issue prior to. I feel like that would be a um, huge difference in 2023. So in the 1940s, I could not even begin to imagine. Right, right. And then to like have that, it's it almost feels as I'm as I'm reading it and as I'm looking over these documents, it feels like they were set up from the get go. Um, most of these soldiers were from the north, so they had an experience. They'd experienced racism on some level, of course, but not nearly what it is in the deep south at that time. Um, especially not, you know, what they might have experienced in Phoenix before heading to Mississippi. So being told that they're going into Jim Crow's South, you know, they're like, well, we're going to take over the city. We're going to make our mark. They're not going to treat us like they treat other people of color. So there's a chip on everybody's shoulder going in. And one of the first issues is that, you know, they don't know because, again, they're coming from a completely different world, that there are separate sides of the streets that, uh, quote unquote, coloreds walk on and that whites walk on. So they go into the city going on about their business just like they're supposed to. Numerous times after this first instance and the numerous times after there are incidents where Um, They're going into places and approaching places as they would in their hometowns, not thinking about being deep in the South. Most of these result in a soldier being killed by the local sheriff and police force. And it's never called into question. It's just like, well, that's they broke the rules of this place. So that's what happens. Um. This is apparently a repeated issue. Uh, one, there's a story of one soldier being in town with uh, maybe like a handful of other soldiers, and he's missing a button off of his uniform. And he's approached by two white military police officers, one of whom questions him about being out of military mandated uniform by missing a button. And he lets the MP know that you know, the button just fell off. He hasn't had an opportunity to get it fixed yet, but he'll have it taken care of. Which then leads to a physical altercation. And the officer and the soldier are like, we'll handle this. You know, like, the guy's like, I'm not trying to break the rules. This just happened. But let's go toe to toe. Like, you can write me up. You can punish me. Or we can go toe-to-toe and whoever wins this man-to-man battle, then 
we'll decide what happens next. So they're fighting and the MP is obviously behind in the fight. The soldier has him on his back and the sheriff and the deputy are approaching and the MP yells out to the sheriff, help me shoot him, shoot this nigger. And the sheriff comes and shoots the man in the head at point blank range. The other soldiers are then uh, escorted back to base with their with the other MP and are basically told just to keep their mouth shut. Um, as you can imagine, like after multiple instances of things like this, um, it's not sitting well with the soldiers. And so as I'm reading through this book, there are letters uh, filed by the NAACP with the army. Um, one of which is from a soldier that went AWOL. For those that aren't familiar with military uh, lingo and acronyms, that's absence without leave. So uh, he is from Atlanta and he leaves his post in Centerville, Mississippi to go home and write this letter that says, that talks about um, these killings and everything that's happened. Uh, this is in May of 1943. And he says, I have every intention of going back to my post. I'm not trying to break the law or abandon my military duty. I'm simply leaving so that I can let someone else outside of this circle know what's going on and that they can help us stop this insanity. I don't know if you know this or not, but like going AWOL comes with some severe repercussions. That's possible prison time. That's fines. Um, this is not something small by any instance. Um, and he's just one of like maybe four or five that take the time to write these instances in letter um, and are reaching out really for some help to help resolve these issues, stop the killings of their um, fellow troops and possibly to get them out of Camp Van Dorn in Centerville where all of this is happening. Ooh, sorry guys. It's, it's just a lot. Just before we even get to the real issue. Um, so as Carol Case is digging, he finds uh, that particular file filed by the NAACP and he comes across a memo written by the U.S. Army. And that memo, um, it highlights the past of the 364th mil uh, Infantry going back to Phoenix. It talks about the riot there. It talks about them being shipped to Centerville and the rumors that prior to getting to Centerville, Mississippi, the 364th Infantry boasts about taking over the city and eliminating these race rules that exist in the South. Um, again, it kind of just, it's setting them up for um, for the worst possible circumstances. Um, the memo also outlines that they are following the guidelines of a general 
to infiltrate the 364th to determine who are the ringleaders, who are the quote unquote bad apples, and who are guys that are just existing. And uh, so that's the plan of action. And it says, we're doing this uh, to, let me, let me go back and look here because it's very specific how he, uh, he words this. It kind of has an ominous tone to it. Um, he says, a decision as to go to the appropriate action to be taken in this case should be made with the understanding that the citizens of Centerville and adjacent communities will probably vigorously protest through their congressmen the non-removal of this regiment from Camp Van Dorn since they previously stated they are highly disturbed by the present situation and feel the need of defending their lives and property by extreme measures, even to the extent of openly carrying arms. Further, it is probable that the colored newspapers and national organizations will protest the disciplinary measures taken against this re regiment. Notwithstanding the protests that may be made, I concur that the action proposed by General McNair, with the possible ex exception of giving assurance to the citizens that members of the 364th will not be permitted to visit their town or other communities within the vicinity until the citizens so request. Uh, let's see, let me skip forward a little bit. If the situation is cured, he should be in a position to express approval and recognition of the action of the better element within the regiment by restoring it to its normal status. Uh, let's see. There's a lot of talk of purging and the unrest. The army is prepared to take vigorous disciplinary action to suppress conduct the recent marked increase of disturbances wherein colored personnel is involved indicates that such a notification would not only be timely but appropriate it continues to go on about um dangerous and troublemakers ringleaders ringleaders culprits and the needing for purging um and then what's interesting is that all information on the 364th infantry then stops. There's nothing more about them for almost a year. Which seems super Sorry. shady. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super shady. Um, so that's June of June eighth of um nineteen forty-three. So then in the fall this attack happens. What uh Bill Martzel explains to Carol Case is that um they had been the military police had been uh assigned overseeing uh a shipment of 45 caliber machine guns and they are sent to the um, black part of the camp after dark uh, a few days before they had been told to remove the firing pins from the 34 364th infantry's guns 
So they're basically useless, useless weapons. They're just for show. They surround the, um, the camp along with, there are some civilian officers included, but this is the entire military police division. And they're told to shoot anything that moves. And what he explains to Carol Case is that the thing that has stayed with him is the screaming and the crying and the um, begging for their lives. And he's he says, you know, we literally shot anything that moved. We shot into trees where some of them were climbing to hide. There was there there no one lived after this. So Carol Case then says, you know, what what happened to the bodies? Like, how was this explained to their families? And he says, uh, that night the bodies were put onto trains and shipped away. The MPs were quarantined uh, for the next couple of days so that they couldn't give account as to what else happened or if anyone came around to question, they were unavailable. And then shortly after this, those that lived were supposed to be stationed overseas. Instead, they were shipped to um, the outskirts of Alaska until the war ended. The soldiers that were killed at Camp Von Dorn, their families were told that they died in action. Which no one would question because one, they didn't know where they were. It is wartime. So it's assumed that they died while serving their country. I feel like why even send weapons to these soldiers that you know don't work unless your purpose is to intentionally give them the hope of defending themselves so that they do move so that you can shoot them. Right. And, and everything that um, is documented on the army side, not not even by individuals within, you know, they, they have no statements from the MPs, no statements from the base commander. It is all just from this one person that is not at Camp Van Dorn. They are simply relaying the information. All of it is with a negative slight to the 364th Infantry. I'm not saying that these guys are angels. Um, I wasn't there. I don't know them. But they come they come with a history and it's a violent history. One particular just one particular instance. But again, we don't even have the the facts on what exactly happened. Was this not that it was warranted, but we don't know what transpired to lead to a riot in Phoenix. Um, so it sounds like from the get go, like they're just set up to eventually be eliminated like why would you move a northern based and then western stationed troop to the, the deep to south yeah unless you were intentionally wanting something like this to happen because the way that the letter was stated was basically either we do something about it or the people of this town are planning to take up arms and they're going to do something about it so there was no way for this infantry to win anyway Exactly. Like, you know, and then to uh, even in thinking, like, if the citizens of the town decide to take it upon themselves to handle the situation, um, you've removed the pins from their guns. So even against 
regular citizens, they're yep. helpless. Yep. They're sitting fish. It is crazy to me, even even knowing the story, it's crazy to me that this happened and that so little has been said about it. So little was recorded. And I'm sure that was intentional. Um, But I mean, it is just astonishing to me. And then I'm sure on top of that, the betrayal that these soldiers felt at being murdered by their own, like their own people, the people that are supposed to have their back is just, it's awful. Right. It's baffling. And so even um, Mr. Case uh, reaches out to the U S army just to say, you know, Hey, you know, there's this story that exists. I've got facts, you know, I've got people that are willing to give testament to the fact that this happened. And um, the response that, that he gets is we've looked into these claims and we find no, nothing to substantiate these claims. So basically this didn't happen. Which makes you wonder how many stories are just like that. Because, of course, you know, something horrifying like this happens and you don't want to admit your part in it at all. And especially if you are the U.S. military, you don't want to um, admit to having wiped out an entire regiment. Exactly. And, uh, you know, what's crazy is that a couple of years ago, I guess in the 90s, it looks like um, a museum was um, put up in in Centerville, Mississippi, uh, remembering Camp Van Dorn. And even the perpetrators were asking, why isn't this atrocity a part of the story that's being presented in the museum? And the response they get is it's not a substantiated claim. Even though there are letters and filings about everything leading up to, not necessarily about the slaughter itself, but all of that is absent from 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 the museum. And, and Carol Case even goes on to say that as he's investigating these stories, as he's talking to people who were there, he began to receive death threats. Wow. From where? Yeah. Random places. His uh, his offices, uh, while he was still in, in Centerville, uh, the bank that he was the president of, his office was broken into, um, files were missing, and what was later found to be a uh, fake passport and ID were left behind uh, so as to like possibly plant the idea that there was a specific person after him. Um, he received calls, you know, stop digging, mind your own business, let the wow. past be the past or else. And we've talked about how, like from the outside, if you are hearing this story, it does almost sound like conspiracy theory craziness, but yeah, without a doubt, like the fact that there are people Someone who is like um, the maintenance guy in this book 
who is saying, I was there. I participated in this. You know, it's real. That's crazy. Yeah. And even the, the other people that he interviewed who weren't necessarily military policemen, but um, were citizens, like I said, one of which was a fireman. They sit down with this fireman to talk about the about the good old days of Camp Van Dorn. And um, he asks him, what's your most vivid memory of Camp Van Dorn? And the firefighter looks over at the other guy and without batting an eyelash immediately responds, the most vivid memory I have is the night they killed all those niggers. It don't get more vivid than that. And he says, I was not a soldier on the base, but I worked in the fire department as a civilian. I had close relationship with some of the officers. I had dogs that knew the fields and they liked to hunt. So we got together and I got to know them well. And he says, I heard that there was a lot of trouble brewing on the base. Um, he says the, the whole town knew it, but things were about to bust loose. And he says, a bunch of knickers had been sent to the base from out west, troublemakers. The military knew that if they hadn't taken care of it, we, meaning the local citizens, would have. Everybody that owned a shotgun was coming into town and we didn't have a choice. So they were taking over the town, the streets, the sidewalks, slurring our women and trying to destroy our way of life. And something had to be done. Then... The friend smiles and says something had to be done and they took care of that matter. Who? The MPs and some soldiers on the base. That's still just so shocking to me. And I really wonder how I wonder how this story did not spread by word of mouth alone. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I guess. You know, you're in a town who wanted them dead one way or the other, whether whether it's by the army's hands or by their own. So there's a they're willing to common code of silence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and just... like they didn't even um, they weren't like intentionally disrupting their status quo. They genuinely did not know. So it's kind of right. crazy that no one thought like, oh, maybe. They're from the north, so maybe they don't know what we want from them in terms of, like, behavior and stuff. Right. I think that, um, I mean, part of what factors into that is when you are not looking at someone and considering them to be a human being of equal value, then Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you don't even, they're a problem, let's eliminate. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And as a matter of fact, the uh, the fireman tells tells Carol that uh, the fire department had been called out because they were afraid the niggers would burn down their base and they wanted to block them off. And he talks about being there and not having ever before heard so much shooting. He said he, he was in a ditch hiding because there's literally gunfire everywhere. And he says, there was so much blood running down into the ditch. It was up to his pants leg. Wow. And then how do you sleep at night? 
Right. And how are you like telling gleefully, right, telling the story years later? Wow. Like, you know, and I, I can understand. Like, right. And the, I, yeah. Well, I mean, even like I, for these guys, I can, not that I give them a pass, but at least Bill Martzel, as he's telling the story, is saying it agonizingly like he is has been agonized and been carrying this burden around for years that he's a part of it whereas these guys these bystanders are pumped that are, it happened they don't give a damn and so when you're dealing with people that don't give a damn i see how the story didn't get out this is the boys club the good old boys club and they're keeping this story around between them to reminisce about the good old days mm-hmm. when you could just kill a nigger and go on about your business right and that that's the thing is like they don't care all these years later like there's right. been no self-development on their part they still are walking around viewing what they did as being a help to the community i wonder these guys- like were i wonder if there were any like people who were like doubting what was happening I mean, you got to have some type of like somebody saying something. Yeah, you would think. So there's a story of an officer, uh, Shorty Coyle, who had written a letter to his aunt who said, I want you to know what's happening at Camp Van Dorn. It's a white officer. He kind of gave her a little bit of the... um, a couple of Negro soldiers have been killed. Like, I don't feel very good about this, but I will tell you more once I can see you in person. Shorty Coyle dies maybe a week after that letter is sent. Or no, he's, yeah, he's, he was, his family was told that he drowned. And his family's like, he's an accomplished swimmer. How did he drown? So then it's time for his funeral and his brother uh, is advised by the funeral director not to open the casket. He opens the casket. His brother has been disemboweled. He has been castrated. He basically was tortured. Just like what happens when you drown normally exactly what happens when you drown so there's another soldier that reaches out to his brother and he says i can't tell you what happened right now but as soon as the war is over you have my word that i'll give you the full story in which case this man dies he dies in the war and the family still has no answers wow which like okay if People are being tortured to death over potentially telling. You can see why a whole town was willing to keep it a secret. Exactly. That is terrifying. Wow. And you wonder how many families out there still believe that they had family members who died in war, but really were assassinated at this camp. Yeah, and I mean, so this is the 40s. Most of those people died never knowing what truly happened to their loved ones, their sons, their friends, their brothers. Yeah. 
I, I wonder like- if there's like somebody who could just like pull resources to find these bodies, you know. Well, Carol Case and his in his digging, that was his his main motivation was I want to get this story told. And honestly, y'all, as much as I've searched, I found very little. And this book is probably the most information that I've found with documentation. Um, he has copies of the uh, declassified files that he was able to come across. But there is not a lot of information about this. And and imagine that he was getting death threats uh, based on just his research of it. Um, I I think that this is the most we're ever going to know about it. And truly, this is something that we would not have even known about had our 90-year-old grandma who's still alive not been like, hey, I think something happened there um, and had a memory of that. I mean, that... It's astonishing to me that there is potentially a whole generation who's like this story will just go away with. Exactly. And so then I'm I'm reading this and my thought is, so what now? What do I do with that information? Like, I, I can't nor do I really want to pursue, you know, um, yeah. trying to hold someone accountable for this because honestly the people to hold accountable are for it gone. are dead and gone so what now aside from just you know sharing the story hey know that this happened like i want you to know that this happened so that we can honor and look back on the lives of these men that were killed right well and additionally would the military even know about it if records were so well hidden? Would they even know? Right. Wow. I mean, truly, this is a unknown story. Unless you were directly impacted by it or had a family member that was impacted by it, this is something that you just are not going to hear. So I, I encourage people to pick up this book. It's called The Slaughter, an American Atrocity by Carol Case. Um, I found it on Amazon. There weren't a lot of copies of it, but I imagine that, you know, based on supply and demand, more copies could be made available. Um, the first half of the book is is Carol talking about the letters and the documents that he found. The second half of the book, he has uh, decided to make it a factual fiction uh so he has created a story about you know people and what might have happened but it's all based on the information that he found out um i haven't dug Monkey. too deep on that side uh just because i don't really care about that i just want to know the <laughs> facts so i've spent the majority of my time in the front half of the book but be sure to check it out i it's a it's a good read Well, before we uh, finish our podcast today, we have our special guest, Punky, on to share a Black history fact with us. So take it away, Punk. Yeah, Punky. Hi, everybody. Um, It's Punky with your Black history fun fact. 
Do you know why uh, the month of February was chosen to celebrate Black History Month? It's because two people who helped the black community were born in this month. Our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, who signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and Frederick Douglass, who helped free enslaved people. Awesome, Punk. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, We enjoyed talking to you guys today. I know that it was a little bit of a um, sad story, but it was definitely worthwhile sharing um, something that we can share with others to honor our history. Um, Please join us for the next episode where we will be talking about Lake Lanier. Um, We know that that's a story that is known by some and has definitely been shared um, along the lines of TikTok, but we wanted to go even deeper with it and um, just be able to share that story with you guys. So please join us and uh, find us on Instagram at UBHpod. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah. And hey, listen, if you want to engage with us, if you have stories, if you know something about uh, this Camp Van Dorn or you have some stories that you think the rest of the world might not know about, you can email us at ubhpod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.